Matthew chapter 6. We're reading a pretty well-known uh, passage of Scripture. We'll be reading verse 19 through 34. This is uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus uh, teaches his disciples, but uh, teaches us as well. Please hear God's word to us this morning. <clears throat> Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you can... Uh, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's uh, living and active word to us. So I, being a guest preacher, you, you, you have to choose something. You're not kind of going through. And I love preaching on anxiety and uh, because I'm an anxious guy. I get anxious about everything, you know, cares. I have four kids living in California, kind of in between careers, not exactly sure what direction. So a lot of anxiety. So I chose this passage, a great passage, you know, do not be anxious. And yet... That's not the point of this passage once I started reading it. The point of this passage is not about your anxiety and how you and I can be less anxious. The point of this passage it deals more with our ambition. What is your goal in life? What is your purpose? What are you pursuing? And that correlates to anxiety, and we'll, we'll see that. Uh, real quick, as we talk about this, and as you hear any sermon or any lesson in life, it's not one and done. You don't hear it and you say, I have this aha epiphany. It's not like salvation where you come to Christ the first time and you recognize you're, you're a sinner and you're under God's judgment, but he's provided a Savior through Christ and you give your life to him and, and it's finished. You know, Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He's got you by the collar and he's never going to let you go. Well, 
this is more of a sanctification passage. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, which deals not with how do you get into the kingdom, but how are we as children in the kingdom supposed to live? And like any lesson that we've been taught or we teach our children or grandchildren, you got to teach it again and again and again. So this, what we're learning today, what God is teaching is something we're going to have to put into practice. And the more you practice it, the less it feels like practice, the more it become a, becomes a characteristic of who you are. So, just a, just a little side note. To set the scene, I think this helps. As I read these passages, it helps me to kind of try and grasp in, in which sense were they given or something that's helpful. Now, this is the Sermon on the Mount, but I pictured them sitting around a campfire. I pictured Jesus, who probably reiterated this multiple times to his disciples, sitting around a campfire as they often did. And maybe John and Peter sitting next to his side and and the ten other disciples are kind of surrounded them. And, and it's nighttime, and all you can just see is kind of the flashing of the uh, faces of Peter and, and John and the other disciples. And they're sitting there, and King Jesus, who came into the world as a, I like that, he came in as, hidden as a carpenter's son, but was Emmanuel, God with us, knows what's ahead for his, these disciples. These ragtag group of guys have made up of fishermen and tax collectors and whatever else he knows what they're going to endure after he is gone he knows the trials the hardships that are going to come from his fam- their families of society he knows they're going to be beaten and stoned and and most of them martyred and he's looking at these guys and he's trying to prepare them for this and in order to prepare them he has to start to transform their worldview he has to challenge their current worldview break that down and give them a reality check. And one of the first reality checks that he's starting to do for these guys is to point to that this reality is not the only reality. That the goal in this life is not to have a larger field, to have more barns, to have a beautiful house in the example of back 2,000 years or for us to have a larger bank account, to have more vacation time, to have a safe retirement, to have uh, prosperous children and grandchildren. That the goal in this life is not just to be healthy and secure and content, but the goal in this life is to get through the darkness in one sense, to survive the dangers. Because what they don't understand, often we don't understand, is that we're living in a war zone. That scripture actually describes the world as the kingdom of darkness. And scripture also in Ephesians chapter 2 says, those who are not following Jesus are following the prince of the air. They're following Satan. They're actually his servants. Such as you and I became before uh, we came to faith in Christ Jesus. There's no neutral guy standing out there. We're all slaves. We're all servants. It's whether you're a slave of the king Christ Jesus, or you're a slave of Satan, the arch enemy. So Jesus is, is, is transforming their mind about what the goal is in this life, about the context in which they live, that we live in darkness. And yet Jesus' plans for them was not to take them out of that challenge. Remember in John chapter 17, he's praying, he says, Lord, um, I don't take them out of this world, 
but I pray that I, you would keep them from this world. So we're meant to live in the struggle. We're meant to live in the darkness for this time. But in order to survive this, uh, and in order to carry out God's plan for our life rightly, we have to have new understanding. So Jesus is sitting around this campfire, and he's like a lawyer in this passage. He has an ultimate goal in mind. The ultimate goal in mind it actually comes from the very uh, from verse 33 at the end. He says, this is the goal that he ultimately wants to get the disciples and therefore us to do. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where Jesus wants these guys. And now everything he says before that is to make the case, to make the argument of why that is the best thing for them to do. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It means that Jesus is king. That God has established Christ as king on this world and Christ is going about the whole world and he's calling out his elect from amongst the fallen, from amongst the sinners, and he's building up a church. (coughs) And that Christ wants reign and rule and obedience from all of his elect. That's the kingdom of God. By seeking the kingdom, you're you're in another way of saying you're seeking the glory and honor and the worship and the service that Christ deserves. That's the ambition for us to have our whole lives set on making much of Christ Jesus whom God sent. That's the goal. Seek first. That means that comes above our family, our kids, our own pleasures, our own health, our own desires, our own wants. Our main want, our main focus, our main ambition in life is to make much of King Jesus, to let the whole world know He is ruler, His rod is in His hand, but also there is great grace for those who come to Him. So to the disciples and us, we are to have this one single Ambition, But in order for that to take place, Jesus builds this argument, as I said before. And he does it by this. He, he does it by first describing ambition. He's going to describe ambition, and he's going to show the right kind of ambition to have. Second, he's going to talk about perception. And then finally, he's going to talk about faith. So ambition, perception, faith. Ambition is seen in verse 19, where he begins. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The very first thing I want us to see is how does Jesus start out? <clears throat> do not. In the Greek, it's showing, the way that it's spoken, is showing that they were doing something. It's another way of saying stop. Stop what you're doing. Because, saints, we're all pursuing something. We all have ambition. You might know people in your life that say they have no ambition. Yes, they do. Their ambition is to be a bum. Or their ambition is to do nothing. Ingrained in each one of us is ambition to pursue. Why do people that have a lifetime sentence in prison not just give up and call it quits? There is a fight in us. There is a goal that we are set on this earth to do something. 
The problem is, most of us are trying to do the wrong thing. So Jesus says, and he says to them, and he says to us, listen, you need to stop if this is you. What is it? You need to stop laying up treasures in heaven. Or you need to stop laying up treasures here on earth. Another way to say lay up is to, it's a very active word. You need to stop pursuing. You need to stop accumulating. You need to stop focusing on the treasures of this earth. These are things that we put our time, our energy, these are conferences that we go to. I'm, and I'll clarify this in a second because there needs to be clarity here about what is good ambition, what is bad ambition. But he says there is an ambition that consumes our resources, our times, and our energy that is useless. It's a waste. You would never invest anything in it if you knew the reality. And Jesus just goes ahead and lays out the reality before us, and it's been hidden here in Matthew chapter 6 our entire lives. And I guarantee in some aspects, whether you're 40 or 60 or whatever age, we wish we should have known this 35 years ago. Because here's the reality of some of these things. Earthly treasures will not last. He uses words like moth and rust and thieves. Moth, I mean, they would go in and they would eat their garments. And I mean, think a garment, you and I lose a garment, no problem, we'll go get another garment. Back in that day, I mean, you couldn't go down to Dillard's and pick out a new piece of clothing. I mean, you, you had one shawl or covering. I mean, things were valuable and people put their resources in. They didn't have as many things to buy. So the resources went to a few things. Rust, another word for uh, rust is the idea that it's just eaten away, disintegrates. Now we have, we have paint that we can uh, protect things and, and keep it going, but back then, things in the ancient world were not safe. I mean, the elements, the uh, locusts, the moths, the, the vermins, the, the uh, rats would get in there and eat their grain. Things were not safe. And then also you had bandits that would come and steal things. Things were not safe. And Jesus is saying, the things that you're pursuing in this world are not safe. No different. And it maybe doesn't seem to correlate to us as much because he says, um, your food your drink, your clothing. But is this house going to last forever? Um, is this going to last forever? Is this uh, Bible going to last forever? Give it time. Give it to the elements and it's going to disintegrate. And even if we can put rust protected paint on something, over time things even devalue. Inflation takes the cost out of something. How many people a long time ago stored away money and it might have been a lot to that point, but now they go back and they bury, unbury it and they have it. It's not worth a lick. Stott uh, has this, uh, this, this theologian points out this very interesting thing that also we think food and drink and clothes are really not that big of a deal. Um, like these, how valuable are these things to us? I mean, we've, we've got Apple and Tesla watches and we've got real quality things but still today everything almost that the world offers to us is, is a great meal is a nice refreshing drink is clothes 
I mean, look at magazines. Look at what's uh, advertisement on, on TV. Burger King or Chipotle or the five-star restaurant. All these things, everything is designed to tell us to pursue these earthly things. A vacation spot, a house near the coast, a guitar, clothing. We are so consumed, and the whole world is consumed with focusing on these earthly things and how foolish it is if the end result is it becomes nothing. And it's very dangerous because these things that we treasure, it's not out here, it's actually in here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as that thing falls away, so does your heart. A good way to point out an idol is if you lose it or it's destroyed or it's diminished or it's uh, challenge if it falls apart and you're crushed with it. A good way to know if you're not being idolatrous with your stuff is if you lose it, if it goes down in value, if it's broken, if it doesn't come to be, you lose it, but you still have your joy. Then you know you had it in the right place. In Luke, uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus tells this parable. Um, he talks about a man who had a field and he had an unbelievable harvest and it was fantastic a harvest a once in a lifetime harvest so much so that his barns that he had at the current time could not hold all of the value so he tore down those barns and he says i'm set i'm going to build these beautiful barns i have enough value and, and uh, produce in order to last me for the rest of my life and he even said to himself i'm going to eat drink and be merry and god comes to him that night and says you fool Tonight I am going to take your soul and all this stuff is going to be given to another. The things of this world will not last. They come to nothing. They're not worth striving for. They're not worth pouring ourselves into. And saints, we do this. We, we do this all the time. I do this you do it if you really take the time to just sit and reflect on how much time and energy we have put and value into these earthly things. It is ridiculous. But let me just give you some examples that hit me recently. My father-in-law, Robert, uh, they had to move. Uh, he, he lost his eyesight. Him and his wife had to move into an assisted living home. And so we went to their house in Montgomery, Alabama, and we helped them kind of clean out. And we went into his office. I remember... We were just taking stuff and giving it, spreading it out to the kids, but a lot of it was just going to be thrown in the trash. Here's these yearbooks. He's 85 years old. These yearbooks and these awards that he was given for his service with the sheriff department, I mean, great accolades that he held on to for decades, tossed in the trash. They're downsizing about 75% into a two-bedroom place just tossed in the trash. I've been carrying around, even now I have a storage unit with just my mementos of my most prized possessions and notebooks from when I was a kid and pictures. These things are one day I'm going to have to get rid of. Another example is my mother-in-law. She uh, has dementia right now. She can't remember from morning till evening. And she's always collected these wonderful Christmas carolers these precious dolls. Well, she can't remember that she still has them anymore. The jewelry that she has, she can't remember that she still has these 
precious jewelry that was handed down to her from her parents and that she wanted to hand down to her kids. And then the, the, the ultimate is my mom died last year. She has no possessions. No possessions. And yet, if you look at our daily lives, if you look at where our thought process is, it's on food, it's on clothing, it's on vacation, it's on our bank account, it's on these other things. And Jesus says, do not, do not store up your treasures on earth. This is fruitless. Now, this is not saying that wealth and possessions is a sin. It's talking about ambition. It's not talking about stuff. It's talking about ambition. If your ambition is these things, it's wrong. There's many great men in the Bible. Abraham was super wealthy. David was extremely wealthy. Solomon may be the richest person who has ever lived in the whole world. It's not wealth. It's your ambition. It, it, we'll talk later that it's okay. If you have the right ambition, which is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, then it's okay if you have secondary ambitions, such as a successful business, business that you can use and, um, in order to serve the kingdom. A good education so that you can leverage that to be an asset to the kingdom. Vehicles for travel. These things are good tools, Apple products for the kingdom. It's okay to have these other secondary ambitions if you have the right ambition. Now, these things are not going to last, but what does last? He says, store up your treasures in heaven where none of these disintegrating effects and circumstances can touch it. Now, what does it mean to store up your treasures in heaven? Well, we can't take any of this stuff with us. Job even says in Job chapter 1, I came into this world naked, I'm going to leave naked. And we're not talking about meritorious works because, again, this is not about salvation. One commentator says, anything that's going to last into eternity. I tell you, one of the images I have in my mind comes from a proverb that says, he who wins souls is wise. And just imagine coming across in heaven somebody that you had the privilege of being the instrument and tool and you were bold enough and you had the ambition to make much of God's kingdom and you shared the gospel with them and they received the gospel or a missionary you've never met in person in your life but you prayed for them and you supported them and you see them into the kingdom these are things that last also first uh, Peter talks about that we grow in our hope and in joy and sanctification and in faith and in trust. These are things you will carry on into the kingdom. Characteristics that are you. So use your, your earthly possessions to serve the greatest picture purpose, which is Christ's kingdom. So Jesus, as you see, as he's sitting here with these disciples who didn't have much already to begin with, but they all had ambition and they all had dreams. He says, that's okay, but you have to have the right ambition. And you have to give all of that to him. All of that. And he says to us the same thing. He's, he's not just teaching them, hey, this is a good investment, that's a bad investment. But he's actually teaching them, you only get one choice. You can only have one ambition. He even says in here, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's another word for just possessions, anything here on the earth. Because here's, as one scholar said, 
you can have two employers. Maybe in your life you've had two employers. But a slave can only have one master. And in the same way Jesus is reorienting his disciples' life from wanting that beautiful field and that beautiful family up on a hill and wanting to grow their own kingdom here on earth. And he says, listen, you're in a war zone. He's also telling them the reality and us the reality. You're a slave. Now, some people aren't going to like hearing that. You are literally a slave. The way that we think of it, it, the, the, the disrespectful, uh, horrific American idea of slavery. That is what we are. You are not your own. And not just because you were bought at a price from Jesus, but being God's creation, you are not your own. You are not the master of yourself. I am not. We are a slave. We are either a slave to Satan or we're a slave to God. Scripture is very clear that we have a master. You can't have two masters. You can have one master. And a scholar, again, also says that we try and balance this and we try and come up with ways to get through life by having two masters where we will serve God on Sunday, but we're going to serve the God of mammon and ourselves on the rest of the week. Or we're going to serve God with our lips, but we're going to serve mammon with our heart. And he says, if you do that, God is not your master. Because essential to being a slave is that you have one master. And you serve that master with all of your being. We can't balance it. And I think a challenge, and I'll talk about this later, is we look around and we see other people balancing it what we think is pretty well to us but not to God we live in a very challenging situation in America having so much wealth so much wealth I heard one guy talking about that he's done a ton of marriage counseling he always asked the background of these people um, where you came from just to kind of paint the picture and he's never heard anybody say I came from a wealthy family everybody is middle class and we think we're middle class. Listen, I could go down and buy a brand new set of clothes from here. I could go sit down and, and, and pull out a credit card and buy you all lunch. I could, uh, if something's broken, I can fix it. The same is for all of you, I'm sure. Do you know how ridiculous that is? How wealthy we are? 60% of the entire world lives on $2 a day. Uh, there was this one guy that took a two, uh, two $1 bills and, and at his congregation, he threw them at him. And they like jumped away. Like, uh, and, and he said after the service, nobody was even going to pick it up. Half the world would lose their minds. They live on $2 a day. Fresh water. Now again, resources are not bad. Praise God that we've been given these resources. But we are so wealthy. And Jesus says words that it is difficult for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the easiest sermon to preach. You know how you preach that? You just say, it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is what it is. It's difficult because we don't think we need God as our master. What do we need him for? I have control. And that's what we're pursuing. Really, in a lot of our ambition is control. We're pursuing control to be our own 
God. And God says you cannot serve God and mammon. You have possessions, but the reality is, if that is your ambition, those possessions end up possessing you. And that's no way to live. You definitely won't be fruitful in seeking and building up the kingdom of God. So, where is your ambition? What's been your life's ambition? You know, I, I'm 40 years old. I'm starting to at that point where uh, I'm looking back and saying, when I was 20, I wish I would have started saving. Even $100 a week. You ever did that? And if I would have just saved and invest in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, $100 a week, and then I'm realizing there's not really a way I can make up for that. And a lot of times, people can think that about the Christian life. Because I guarantee, if you're like me, your ambition has been jacked up and it's been selfish in many ways, or it's been split to making that your productivity building the kingdom has not been as good as it is. But this is not the same as savings. Today, with the time you have left, if you set your ambition towards building and seeking the kingdom of God first, God can do amazing things. We don't have to worry. Paul says, I forget what is behind me and I go forward. So what has been your ambition? How can you redefine it? How can you make it more crystal clear? How can you bring in your circle of influence, your neighbors, your finances, your church, your prayer life to actually fit better into pursuing that ambition? Your time is limited. Cut away the stuff that hinders you. Cut away the stuff that's not going to last. Clarify your ambition. This is only possible by point number two, perception. We have to have the right perception. And if anything, when I was talking about in the beginning that you have to practice this over and over, this is the point. It's the perception. Because we are so trained to see only the things around us, to see the things of the earth, and not see the heavenly things, that it doesn't come natural. That it's going to trip us up. Jesus says, I'll show you, verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That makes sense. Imagine somebody who's walking. If they have good vision, they're not going to walk into things. They're not going to stumble into the pool. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Because where the eye is, that's going to control your actions, your choices, your movements, uh, your decisions. But he says, verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then he goes further, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that light? That sounds a little different. But if the light that is in you, if the perception, if the understanding that drives ambition, because we all set goals based on what we see and what we understand. If you were raised in a family that said the goal is to be self-sufficient, to be successful, you work hard at school, you get good grades, you go to a college, you get a job, you hunker down, you save, and you be good. That's your perception of life. You're going to view everything through that. But Jesus, all throughout Scripture, is always showing us that there's a heavenly realm. There's an earthly realm. Do you walk daily, minute, minute by minute, knowing that? No. Neither do I. But Scripture tells us over and over again, that's how we have to understand. When we look out here, do we see this as part of the temporary? Do we see this as part of the passing away? Do we see this as, 
valuable because we're here and we're now and because God wants us to use all this. This is all part of God's plan. It's a tool. It's a resource. It's an opportunity. But it's not lasting. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 4.18 says, Focus not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. And he just repeats what Jesus says here. For the things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are eternal. That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. But it comes from having perception, having a biblical perception. In here, when uh, Jesus is going to question them why they're anxious, he's going to say, oh, you of little faith. Because being able to see the heavenly as greater and more real and lasting than the temporary is a faith issue. It's a faith issue. We need to grow in our faith in the scriptures and in what God has been telling us. One of the greatest things that can ever happen to you is a tragedy or a trial or a struggle. Recently, I lost a significant money in cryptocurrency. Praise the Lord. Why do I say that? Because these things break your perception. And they cause you to look in a new way. They cause you to go to God and see God in the way that He explains things. And when you do that, the, the, the pain of loss of money, the pain of loss of health, the pain of loss of a loved one, the pain of loss of a job, the pain and loss of a uh, perceived ideal is washed away. You have to train yourself. I had that very first experience of a desire and a crash when my first son uh, was born with significant special needs. An idea of what my life was going to be like that was just cracked immediately. For the rest of my life, as long as I live with him, is never going to be the way I imagined it or wanted it before. But in that, I found that he may have been different. And my desires for him may never be fulfilled. But God is the same and he can fulfill me anyways. That's what God wants us. That's what, remember talking about lay up your treasures in heaven? The greatest treasure is a saint that goes into heaven completely trusting God. Satisfied. There's no, and sometimes it takes these awful tragedies to get us there. You know, we're going to talk about in a minute... Uh, about um, God providing for us, okay? And that we need to have no anxiety over these earthly things. No anxiety over these earthly things. That doesn't mean that He will always provide what you need. What you need. What you need and I need is... God's never... doesn't provide that for His people. Every single one of us will die. Right? Well, at that point, we will have think we needed life or health or some Christians even starve. What God will provide for you is what you need to fulfill the mission of making much of His kingdom. He will not provide for you everything you need to make much of your kingdom. How does a, a little a sick child that passes away and has their faith in Jesus Christ how is it that God has been faithful to provide everything that that child needs? He has in the fact that that child 
even if it passed away at an early age, is able to carry out that God-given mission that God has given that child to make much of his kingdom. We got to realize we are slaves, right? We're not even working on our own ambition. Our ambition is to jump on board of God's ambition. He gives us what we should be working for. He gives us his ambition to make much of the kingdom of God. And so when we quit worrying about making much of our kingdom and building our own kingdom that's not going to last, and we hop on to his own kingdom, some of the greatest encouragements to the Christian world has been the early, sad death of his saints. That has gone on and on and on. It didn't make much of their world. It cut their world short and their kingdom short. But it magnified Christ and His. And they too will receive the reward for serving Him faithfully. I recently just saw somebody took a, a picture of the journal of Jim Hatch. No? Jim, the guy who said, missionary who died, who said, he is no fool. Jim, who, Elliot. Jim Elliot. I actually he saw, I saw the pen in there. And imagine, he's just a kid writing this. And his life who said he is no fool who gives up that what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. His life has borne bountiless fruit. So you have to have that perception. So it's the I. So first, ambition. We're all pursuing something. Pursue God's ambition. Second, you have to have the right perception that comes by faith. And third, uh, you, you, you need just faith. You need faith because if you let go of your world and your ambitions and you're just focusing on His, well, who's going to take care of the th stuff you need? God is. And He uses the examples in Scripture of the birds of the air and, and the lilies of, of His field. And these may seem insignificant, but it, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And He says, if I can even take care of a bird... I can take care of you. If I can make this flower grow, I can take care of you. There was this poem um, that, that I read, I can't remember it, but the robin says to the sparrow, uh, why do these humans go around like so, to and fro, to and fro, anxious and toiling so? And the sparrow said to the robin, well, they must not have the same Heavenly Father as you and I have that cares for our soul. I don't think they said soul, but something like that. It was these birds looking down and saying, why is humans so uptight? Why are they so anxious about these things? Everything you need to carry out your mission that God has given you, He will provide for. And here's a beautiful thing. Remember the two masters illustrations? It says, when you make your choice and you decide to make God your only master and you are a slave to Him and servant to Him, you don't have to be anxious about the other master. You can let that go. It is so freeing. Me and my wife were talking about this. We live in an extremely expensive place and we're very easily and likely going to be priced out of our housing there. And the desires of, with four boys to live in a house with a yard, something that's yours that you can't be priced out of, that's safe, it's very, very strong. And I said, what if we just let go? What if we just let go? You say, God, I don't care anymore. I don't care. It's not saying, because this is what we sometimes do. We say, God, I don't want a house here then. 
what we're doing is we're trying to protect ourselves. And we're trying to say, well, I don't even want that. That's not what I'm at we should do. Okay? What we should do is just say, I don't care. I'm leaving that to you. You can give me a house. You can take away a house. You can move us from a house. You can do whatever. I don't care. That's in your hands. That is only by faith that you can do that. And it's and it's freeing. It's enlightening. And, and, and then you can focus on what God has for you. And so it can be about your, your, your job, your work, and just saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't care. It doesn't mean you don't think about it. It doesn't mean you don't plan for it. But you're not tied to it. Your hope and your joy is not tied to it. Again, a, another way to know that you are trusting in God is if you lose something, something doesn't come about, but you still have your joy. Then you say, wow, I, my, I have my priorities right. Now, if you lose something, something doesn't come about, or it's threatened, and you fall apart, you say, man, I've put this in the wrong place. So, he to wrap this up, um, he really brings us uh, to this. We need to have a strong resolve a strong perception of this world and heaven. We need to understand that there is heaven. And it's as real as here. And this one moves into the next. They, they correlate. How, what we're doing here and heaven. And how this is supposed to be serving. We, we, we can no longer walk around just by sight. We have to walk by faith. We have to have a strong real, picture and reality and perception of the whole picture. I mean... Even Jesus says, or Scripture says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. That there's myriads of angels there that are, their whole job is to serve the elect. There's things going on we just do not see. But they're going on, and they're real, and they're lasting. There's a whole kingdom. There's a heaven. There's a throne with seraphim and cherubim falling down at the the feet of God and Christ. There's a whole reality, and that's what's real. So we have to, one, have a the right perception. Number two, we have to orient our ambition towards God. Now, this takes actual work, sitting down as a couple or an individual and saying, all right, what have I been pursuing? Be real honest with yourself. And it's going to hurt because you're going to have to let go and trust God in that way. But reorient yourself to how can I use the rest of the time here and the resources I have to make much of God's kingdom. And third, we need to not be anxious about the necessities that we have. We work. This is not a a call to not work. Scripture is very clear, don't be lazy. Proverbs Proverbs just says, don't be lazy, it leads to hunger. Uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, those who don't work, don't eat. Scripture is, be diligent. We are slaves, we should put our heads on pillow tired from prayer, from work, from helping, from serving. but we don't need to be anxious. One guy said, God is not, uh, this is not um, a prohibition against um, thought about the earthly things that you need, your bills, your expenses, transportation, cell phone, clothing. It's not a prohibition against future thought, preparing, saving, planning, strategizing. It's, it's a prohibition against anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts. And anxious thoughts come when you put too much value in them. 
last and final thing I'll say, and this is the beauty. If your ambition is in the wrong direction, anxiety is a natural fruit of it. If your ambition is placed in the wrong place, anxiety is a natural fruit of it. But if your ambition is in the right direction, anxiety is actually going to be dissipated for you. So if you have the right ambition to seek God, it, it, it's going to wear away. And it seems dangerous because you're taking your hands off the wheel of these things that seem so important. But that's where God comes in. He says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word that, uh, Lord willing, reorients our, our minds and our hearts. Um, your scripture does that. It kind of uh, pulls back the blinders. And e even though we sit here in the sun, 93 million miles away, is shining upon us and I feel the heat and it's causing uh, the grass to grow, that's all by your hand. Everything is happening by your hand. And all these things are the scenery, the set for your great play which has Christ as the lead, has you as the uh, great heavenly, lovingly Father, Christ triumphant, us as the uh, undeserving recipients of your grace, your sanctification. Lord, help us to see this great reality of who you are and of Christ Jesus, who, who was and is and always will be, and of our future hope in him. Help us to serve the rest of this time Lord, with our ambition set on your kingdom and making much of Christ and doing all we can to bring our neighbors and our friends and our children and our parents into this kingdom that they too may serve Christ Jesus to the glory of you, Heavenly Father. Help us to do this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.